As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Greetings and welcome back to One True Pod. We are the Big 12 Podcast on the Andy Staple Show and Friends Podcast feed. Thanks as always for listening. My name is Sam Khan, and I'm joined as always by my good friends Max Olson and Jason Kersey. Uh, we is a nice bowl edition of One True Pod. We'll talk a little bit about the Alamo Bowl last night. Jason Kersey was front and center for that in the Alamo Dome, uh, seeing Oklahoma beat Oregon and the return of big game Bob. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the bowl action and preview the Big 12 bowl games that are left. But first, guys, we are sitting here recording on Thursday morning about 14 minutes from the Duke's Mayo Bowl, and we're going to find out which coach gets a whole vat of mayo dumped on them. Guys, how excited are you for this? I, I, I love that both coaches have said they'll do it because that was – I watched that entire damn game last year for that reason – and was so disappointed when it didn't happen. So uh, I'm fired up. Although I am disappointed that there was no tequila bath. Shout out Max. I got to uh, I got to ask that question to Bob Stoops, and and Max really is the one who deserves the credit because this was your idea right here on this podcast. Jason, you you look like you got a tequila bath last night. That was a long night, buddy. <laughs> it was. <laughs> um, it was man. No, it was it was night. funny to see Bob Stoops trending for the tequila bath on Twitter. I mean, that was that's a real one true pot accomplishment right there. Um, Hell yeah! Are you Hell guys yeah, is. bothered at all if the you know it, it is? But are you bothered at all that the the mayo bath is watered down a little bit, or do you want big gloppy piles of mayo on 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 Mac Brown's head? <laughs> If it, I'm okay with it being watered down because I think it might be a little gross to watch if it's just <laughs> chunky, you know, thick mayonnaise. It's it's like the uh, the HelloFresh boxes we do, Jason, where they say add a, add a tablespoon at a time to make yeah. the uh, uh, yeah <laughs> to make the drizzle to make the drizzle of, of mayo. Um, yes. I think that's what they're going for a mayo, mayo drizzle today, um, but I kind of would have been okay acceptable. with. Uh, I I find it acceptable, but I would have been okay with. Just pure like like ketchup out of a bottle. You have to shake it a bunch to get it to come out of the bucket. Mayo, you know. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of, I'm kind of anticipating. I would love to see Mac Brown hit in the face with a frying pan. I don't know. He said he's willing. So <laughs> you know? he said he was willing. You know that. No, but no 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 tequila bath for a big game, Bob. We will get our mayo bath. Uh, uh, I assume we got a cheese it bath uh, this too. afternoon. We got a cheese it bath for for Dabo last night. We did. Dabo got a cheese at bath uh, thanks to Brock Purdy's wild turnovers. We'll talk a little bit about that a little later uh, in the show. But, Jason, first we'll start with you. The the Alamo Bowl, Oklahoma 47, Oregon 32, uh, a huge start. Uh, Kennedy Brooks with a huge game. And, of course, Caleb Williams spoke to the media for the first time. I guess uh, what, what were your biggest takeaways Wait, Caleb Williams talked? and their performance last night? Caleb Williams See, talked. I, talked I to fell the media. asleep. I missed this. Yeah, it turns out that Caleb Williams can speak publicly. Um, yeah, it was it was funny. We uh, we'd been asking uh, Mike Houck from OU if we were going to get Caleb uh, after the game, and they came in and put the placards up. And when they set that Caleb Williams one down, I mean, we were like, "Oh my god, this is really happening!" <laughs> the applause in um, the room had to be deafening. Yeah, yeah, 
he came in wearing a cowboy hat um, and uh, did not address his future, which I, I think that uh, what what that meant was a night that was otherwise very cathartic and, and fun for OU fans, a night that they really needed after the month they've had, uh, ended up being a little bit disappointing because I think a lot of people assumed if he's coming in, maybe that means he's about to just say, like, I'm all in with Coach Venables, and that is not what happened. In fact – he uh, very much did not do that. He went out of his way to avoid talking about the future and, uh, and even made, made reference to, I have to decide or something. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that was, uh, that was a little unnerving for people. Yeah, I was a little surprised by it, too, because I think I anticipated the same thing that you did, that once they put that placard out and once they were going to trot him out there, that this was going to be some his grand coronation ceremony. and work yeah right right and brent venables had already said on the on the podium yes. had said that uh we're we talked about the future uh with caleb williams leading our offenses i believe the words that that venables used so uh but williams's quote was we'll see how oklahoma does and how i decide yeah so yeah and i'm you can really parse that quote what does that mean what how oklahoma does in what respect it, i think it's <laughs> it, transfer it, portal i, I think guess? in the nil era i think it's just like he's sitting at a conference table with them saying like i need one million dollars to stay at oklahoma you know let's one hook, million dollars let's hook it up that's right um jason i've seen a lot of your tweets this season so i wanted to bring up it looked like good things happened when oklahoma got the ball to kennedy brooks and marvin mims in the game yeah, it's weird how you, arguably your two best offensive playmakers, uh, you get them the ball and, and big things happen. It was, it was actually kind of strange because Marvin Mims wasn't in on offense much early in the game. It was a little bit confusing. But then, he, yeah, he has a 55-yard touchdown. Kennedy Brooks, um, man, that guy is so underappreciated. He's so good. He's so, but he's so good. He, he finishes his career with, well, he hasn't said for sure, but I'm pretty sure that was his last game. And uh, if so, that means he finishes his career with a seven yards per carry average wow. over, over three seasons in which he had a thousand yards. I mean, that's there are not very many people who can say that. He's like in, in Oklahoma is obviously like the standard for running back plays has been so high here over the last five, 10 years. But like, you know, he like probably like Joe Mixon's been like probably the freakiest guy they've had over the over this run. But like, man, yeah, he's just for like the intangible stuff with Brooks, just the way he makes people miss. He, he does. He's not as freaky as some of the guys they've had. But man, he's just so solid in everything he does. Yeah. Yeah. He's patient. He's a pa really patient runner. He um, the touchdown he run he had uh, in the first half where he you know sets the guy up and makes him miss and goes outside. And then Jeremiah gives him a great block to finish it. That I mean, that's just Kennedy Brooks, man. Like one on one, he's 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 a tough guy to get down. Yeah, he he really is. So uh, if if that was indeed his last game, uh, he will be missed, just like he was missed last year when he opted out of the season. Yeah, I mean that was uh, that was noticeable without him there last year, and, and I think you saw how important he is uh, this this season. Yeah, I said it last night. I, I thought K Kennedy Brooks made himself some money For last sure. night with that performance, and. Uh, you you look at that performance. You look at the way he performed in the Red River Shootout uh, back in October in the Cotton Bowl against Texas. Uh, I think those are two really, really. I mean, Caleb's the star of that one, but you know, Kennedy is the one who who closed it. Yeah, yeah, they they could not stop him, especially in the second half of that game. Uh, and of course, he had the memorable game winning run. Uh, I'm curious, uh, Jason, what did you think of the play call? And I heard a lot of uh, of conversation about how the game was called last night. It seemed, I guess, we talk about the lack of feeding Kennedy Brooks at times throughout his career. Yeah. But, but I thought last night uh, the way it was called under that situation with Kale Gundy was worked out pretty well. I, I, I have to say Kale Gundy had never called plays before um, in his career. Uh, not, not even one time he was tabbed to do that. He was technically the co-offensive coordinator under Lincoln Riley, but we all know that that didn't really mean anything. It was just a title, right. um, but he, but he did get that opportunity last night. And I thought he was, I thought he did a damn good job. Um, and, and it sort of shows all the experience he's had through the years, sitting in the booth, um, helping out uh, on, on game days. And yeah, I mean, a lot of, you know, using the the run to set up the pass, that big 55-yard uh, bomb uh, came after they'd sort of pounded him with Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray. Eric Gray, by the way, who had uh, maybe his best game um, as a Sooner, he's 
uh, I, I feel like been a little bit disappointing relative to the expectations that that, that I unfairly um, put on him. In the I wasn't going to say that. I wasn't going <laughs> to say yeah, that. Yeah, that's all my fault. It is. <laughs> it is my fault. Yeah, but but it's not just you. It's everybody. We all thought Eric Gray was gonna was gonna be one of the best uh, transfers you know, in the country. Of, yeah, yeah, and but he he had a really good game. I think they both Brooks and Gray both averaged ten yards a run. Um, they, they got the ball to a lot of people. It was, it was a really impressive performance by Kale Gundy who now will go back and do a position coach role, but you sort of wonder if him being able to do that last night might, you know, might generate some opportunities for him down the road. Yeah, I thought, uh, I thought that was, that was impressive. Uh, just overall impressive run performance from them. And also a shout out to our friend of one true pod, Jeremiah Hall, who I thought had a great game, really, really big block on one of Kennedy's touchdown runs and, Fourth quarter, he kind of shoved off uh, an Oregon defender after a catch. Uh, really, really good performance from Jeremiah last night. But the big, big story, obviously, aside from Caleb and aside from the victory, was the return of Big Game Bob. How much fun was it just yeah. to have Stoops front and center? And and it looked like he, from, from me watching at home, it looked like he was really having fun last night. I, I'm going to like say something. I, I really hope it doesn't make me sound like a homer because I don't mean for it to come off that way. But there was something very cool about the first time he walked out um, uh, for pregame warmups. He, he walks out wearing the visor and the, the sweatshirt like he used to wear and, uh, and he you know, walks out on the field and the crowd just went nuts. I mean, nuts. And, and I have to say in the Alamo dome, I've never covered a game in a stadium where I was that close to the field. That was, that was phenomenal uh i i would love to cover more games in the alamo dome that was really cool but you could really hear the crowd's reaction and uh and, and i'll admit i mean it kind of gave me goosebumps seeing bob stoops back out there um you know in in that role and i mean it, it was kind of like he never left it very much brought back memories i covered him for many years and and so uh so yeah, it was it was very cool, and it was a cool week. Like the whole week was fun with him. He he was he was in a great mood all week. He uh, was very relaxed. It's like we we got Bob uh, the we got Bob to come back, and that was really great. But but he maintained that that uh, outward personality that he's shown so much over the last few years that he didn't really show throughout his time as OU. So it was like kind of the best of both worlds this week with Bob, and so I thought it was a really neat uh, neat deal and. And man, what a what a legend! I mean, really, what a legend for for uh, for all that he's done for the University of Oklahoma. But for him to come back and step in and not just coach this game, but but help sort of rally the troops and and get make everybody feel better about after what had happened with Lincoln Riley, uh, doing in home visits and and sort of helping them maintain a recruiting class that ended up being number ten uh, in the twenty four seven composite, which all things considered is pretty pretty damn good. Um, so I, I just think, uh, you know, I, I wrote that, I wrote this this week and, and my understanding is this story may have gotten a shout out on the broadcast, which is pretty, pretty damn cool. Mm -hmm. I have to, yep, I'm, I I, I'm just, I'm just shallow enough for that to be really cool. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, I wrote that I, I feel like what he's done for the last month has, has put him, He's approaching Barry Switzer in terms of being beloved by Oklahoma fans. And, and, I, and to be honest, even though he had a great run and everybody loved him, I never saw him being that guy in, in retirement, the, the sort of the Barry Switzer type who, who the fans sort of were just enthralled by. But he has completely flipped that script, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, that, right about that. And go ahead, Sam. No, I said, yeah, the story that that uh, Jason was referring to on the athletic uh, ran on Wednesday, I believe, on Bob Stoops and becoming a program guy. Uh, Jason Benetti from ESPN, great shout out uh, for Jason Kersey and all the OU beat writers last night. Go ahead, Max. Pro program guy, man, that thing's really taken on a life of its own over the past. It, it month. really has. <laughs> um, I I thought it was super cool, and you know the way that the things ended with Bob were so abrupt that summer and then Lincoln takes it and runs with it. And they're so successful that, I mean, it's not like people didn't appreciate Bob, I'm sure Jason, but it does, it does kind of take on a different meaning now, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and I would even go as far to say that by the end of his run, it's not like they were bad, obviously, right. you know, his last year, they, they won the sugar bowl and, and won the big 12 2015. They went to the college football playoff. Um, but but lost in the semifinal to to a really good Clemson team. 
2014, they, they had a really down year. I mean, their recruiting had really tailed off for the last six, seven years. of. But of just the by their era. standards, just by their standards. Yeah, but, but, yeah, you're not yeah. recruiting 30th in the country or anything. It's just right. people wanted national right. championships and they wanted top 10 classes. Right. So I, I almost feel like there was there was maybe a little bit of um, stuff. I, I, it sounds crazy to say, but almost like Stoops fatigue a little bit. Yeah. People were kind of just I, I, I feel like but when it's, it's hard Riley to do that job in. for that long, as we know. Yeah. And, and as we know, by the fact that very few guys are probably going to get to do that going forward here, besides it's like Saban and Dabo. You know, I mean, it's just it's very mm-hmm. hard to do the job for that long and and not, uh, you know, not kind of. uh I don't know. The, the, the approval rating kind of drops a little bit every year, the, the longer you don't win a yeah. championship. Yeah. So, so this, this script couldn't have been written any better for, for him to come back and, and sort of remind everyone of why they loved him so much. And then on top of that, show that personality. Cause I mean, when he came out for those warmups, he was waving at the crowd. He was doing OU after the game on the sideline. I mean, he just, um, he, he, he was having fun in the press conferences. He's obviously having fun on big noon kickoff. Um, the only thing I have to say about that might be a little bit annoying about this moving forward is he had so much fun that all the annual speculation about, will he take this job or this job is only going to get amped up because <laughs> yeah. now everybody's going to say, look at how much fun he had. He wants to come back, which I still don't think he does. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing The Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Now, if you're calling 17-year-olds to recruit them 365 days a year is a lot less fun than coaching a bowl game for one night and knowing that you ain't coming back. There's there's a total difference. some irony to that of like, Bob Bob would happily do this for free for a month, but he wouldn't <laughs> do this for five years for eight million a year. No, no, and that was that was a great moment last night of a little bit more levity in the press conference. Kennedy Brooks during this answer went on this long thing about you know how Bob Stoops had recruited him, but he'd never had a chance to play for him because Brooks was part of the last class that signed, but then Bob retired before. Brooks ever played. And so he said, you know, getting, it was a dream to play uh, a game with coach Stoops. And he like looks over to him and says, thank you coach. And Bob says, uh, appreciate it. Now back to the golf course. <laughs> so that's right. That's right. They call when they called him after Lincoln left, he was on, Joe Castiglione, it, it was on the golf course. Yep. And uh, I mean, they, they literally brought him back from the golf course. And so Get, back, I mean, back to it, he goes I, in, in that moment of crisis. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked about it before, but Absolutely brilliant to just be like, what do we need right now? Let's let's get Bob on the job. Really, I mean, really, if you think about just what what's gone on over the last month, and you and you listed all of it, Jason. But there's something intangible in to that too. Of like, clearly, there's like an identity thing here too. And you've heard people talk about, oh, you know, Oklahoma is bigger than than one person, right? And 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 it's bigger than Bob Stoops too. But like, it clearly, that you kind of they needed him to come in and remind everybody, like, that our our you know our success in the future isn't all because of, of one head coach here. It's, it's uh it's a lot greater than that. Yeah. And 100% that's been his message all month. And, uh, and I thought it was cool too, after the game on the stage, they, they start asking Bob a question about the future and he yells, where's coach Venables and like waves him up and, and actually like took off his visor and put it on Brent's head is very, uh, very symbolic for sure. Yeah passing the visor and, and i say that that recruiting is not uh something that you want to do 365 days a year but he is still doing a little bit of it because he tweeted at caleb williams last night after caleb sent him a thank you tweet he said it was easy to do because it was the right thing to do i appreciate all you guys accepting me i promise you this is the place to be coach mm-hmm. venables and coach levy will keep this thing rolling keep the hat for an nil deal so one last little recruiting salvo for bob stoops before <laughs> 
he sends off, still trying to keep Caleb Williams on the roster, still trying to help the program out. Mm-hmm. Now, with the rules uh, so, to this so stuff, you can't can you you can't really do a rock and roll tequila deal if you're a player, right? I think you can't. No, I don't. You can't advertise I don't think you do alcohol. alcohol. I don't think you can do alcohol. That's too bad. Yeah. Maybe yeah, he's got. Maybe he has some sweet. other shell companies that can can take care of Caleb Williams. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty sweet, though, if one, if the players started advertising rock and roll tequila. That'd be pretty sweet, man. You've given them, you've given that company so much free advertising over the last week. I really, I really need a cut of their sales. I think. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd love to see the, you know, Darren Ravel tweet about uh, rock and roll tequila's got you know one million dollars in free advertising because of Jason Kersey this week. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> oh God, that uh, uh, yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Oh, so, boy. so we no. <laughs> so we no. So so one last thing is like you said they. Stoops oh, and if they want to sponsor this to, pod, that's fine too. I mean, we're we're, we're open. Oh to that. Oh, I'm totally. We're down open for that. It. Maybe we need to have that conversation. We need to get some samples over to, to, to test it out while we're recording the pod. I, I I'm all for that. Uh, but yeah, Stoops passed the visor to to Brent Venables. This is his job now. This is his program now, and. Jason, you said it earlier this month that keeping Caleb Williams is the most important thing for Oklahoma moving forward. So what do you anticipate these next few weeks to be like or next few days? I guess we don't know uh, what the exact timetable is. Caleb said he's going to take a vacation and with, with his family and, and figure things out. But what do you think this is going to be like here in the coming days and weeks as we figure out what Caleb's going to do and, and where this program kind of hangs in the balance in the meantime? I mean, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of uh, tension, a lot of people really worried about about what's going to happen next because, guys, the thing is Spencer Rattler's gone, so he's not, he's not coming back. Um, and the only other scholarship quarterback on the roster is Micah Bowens, who – transfer from Penn state and, and never even cracked the depth chart. He was behind a freshman walk on, on the depth chart this year. So I don't know that he's the answer. Um, they signed Nick Evers, uh, in this 20, uh, 22 class, but Nick Evers is a freshman. Do you really want to, is he going to be ready to be thrown into the fire? And in fact, when I interviewed him last month, he told me he didn't want that. He wanted to red shirt. So, um, I, you know, they, it's really important and time is of the essence here. Like the, the, there are a lot of quarterbacks who are already making their decisions. Um, Dylan Gabriel is gone. He's a guy that, uh, that I think would have made a lot of sense if you lose Caleb Williams because of his past relationship with Jeff Levy. Well, that that's off the table now because he's going to UCLA and, and for Caleb, he want, he's going to want to get this done. I would assume quickly. I, I, I guess he could go through the spring and then transfer, but I, I don't imagine he would do that. So um, I, my my guess is that he's going to to make this decision in the next week week and a half. I, I would think he would have to, right? You would think, and and the, I guess the one interesting question I have on this front is if that does happen, and let's say just for the sake of argument, what if Caleb does leave? Could we see a return home? I'm just gonna throw it out there. This is total speculation. No no insight on this part. Could we see the return of Casey Thompson back to Oklahoma, the former Texas quarterback who's still out there Whoa. on the market? Whoa. <laughs> the face Jason just made. He can't he can't that, even process that. Got, got, gotta be honest, Sam. I don't know why, but I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> I really hadn't. I I think um, it's it's from from covering this portal stuff quite a bit, it's hard to like the the patience part of that is is interesting because yeah, case you know, I I think Caleb Williams probably could wait and do it whenever he wants and everyone would call him and say, we'll take you and you can start here and forget whoever we've got. You're, you're, you're our guy. Um, but it's hard if, if Oklahoma, if starting today, Oklahoma needed to go find a starting quarterback, there's some guys out there, but not, not to his level, certainly, but it's hard to know when others are going to come on the market. That would be Oklahoma's guy, you know? And this is, this is also like why, like this is why tampering happens in this sport too. Like you've got to go figure out who you can get basically if Oklahoma, you know, were to need a, a starting quarterback for next year. And you can look at some of the players in the market and, and say, okay, maybe they can call, you know, Connor Bazelak or they could, they could call uh, Casey Cameron Ward, Cameron Ward. Yeah. Casey Thompson. Um, you know, <laughs> you could, you could try one of those guys, but it's hard to know. Like Joe, like Joe Burrow waited till the end of spring to make a move from from Ohio State. Like you just don't know what kind of guys are going to become available at the end of spring or, or at the end of bowls or whatever. So 
it would be, I would think, potentially a very uncomfortable period of time there if, if Caleb Williams moves on. Because I don't know that Oklahoma is going to have a solution to that uh, right away. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, if Oklahoma needs a quarterback, I would imagine there will be guys who want to play quarterback for Oklahoma. Yeah. So, um, and, and the Levy offense, you know, I, yeah. I think would uh, whatever fears people have about is it going to be the same? Like you can turn on the old Miss tape and say they're going to put up a lot of points. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sort of reminded it's not a quarterback, so it's a little bit different, but I'm reminded of last spring when, uh, you know, Mike Woods plays in the Arkansas, literally in the Arkansas spring game. And then Oklahoma finds itself needing a wide receiver. And what, what do you know? A week later, Mike Woods has transferred to Oklahoma after Arkansas spring. I mean, these things can happen for sure. Yeah, I think uh, you, you definitely got to try to get some feelers out there. So, and, and there are other dominoes. If, if Casey Thompson were to end up at TCU, for instance, you know, is Max Duggan transfer out? Does he become available on the market? Chandler Morris possibly? comes back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be that would be fun. So, so lots of fun stuff at the Alamo Bowl last night. Other bowl games were going on as well yesterday and the last few days involving Big Twelve teams. The Cheez It Bowl, Max. Clemson and Iowa oh State. Boy. That was a very cheesy oh game. Boy. That game <laughs> had, had it all. <laughs> we had we had Brock Purdy uh, deflecting a pass that had already been deflected into the hands of a Clemson defender for a pick six. Uh, for pick six, and then we had a fumble at the end. Also, that we had I mean, we had that we had Iowa State down twenty to three at one point and fighting back to have possession in the last uh, end of the fourth quarter to, to potentially go and tie it up, but. Obviously, before it didn't work out. Um, Max, what were your just kind of biggest takeaways from last night, the Cyclones, and how they looked uh, against Clemson? Yeah, you you know, you knew it was going to be a pretty low-scoring game with just the way Clemson's played all year. They're just offensively, they're just a weird team to watch. They're so conservative um, and, and don't really trust DJ or anybody else to, to do a lot offensively. And so you thought... I mean, I, I figured Iowa State could hang with them because I just didn't think it was going to be very explosive. And and if you don't have the pick six on on just completely bizarre play, then in that situation, it's a tie game and Brock Purdy trying to drive to you know set up a field goal or something. And and maybe you know maybe you have a chance to you could at least play for overtime or have a chance to go you know set up a score there. Um, so it's like we talked about when we previewed the Bulls. It just comes down to the mistakes you make, and and you know I think that. I don't think that like Iowa State was totally like physically outmatched when they played Clemson, and that's kind of been the interesting thing with Iowa, Iowa State this year is like when I when I went and watched them play live against Iowa, it felt different from a few years ago. It felt like physically, yeah, they've built a team that can that can go toe to toe with good top twenty five teams. You know that it's not just the the plucky underdog anymore that uh, you know finds a way to upset uh, ranked teams. I, I I think they've built a team. Like, I, I know people roll their eyes at this claim that like, oh, this, you know, had a chance to be their best team of all time or whatever. And I think they had the players to do it. It's just, just such a, such a weird year. And, and such, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to not call it disappointing in terms of the potential of what the players they had. And a lot of those guys, you know, you'd, you'd say, you know, Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, Charlie Kohler, you know, some of the best they've ever had at Iowa State. And and so it's its a bummer for those guys to not be able to finish it out, um, you know, in, in, in a way that's, you know, as memorable as the past couple of years. But, um, you know, it, the, I, I saw a lot of people dragging Brock Purdy at the end of the game. And I, I don't know, what do you guys kind of make of the legacy there? To me, Sam, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Ellinger in some ways where I think you know, you'd have to call him now. Brock Purdy, I think you have to say is the best Iowa State's ever had in terms of quarterback play um, as as a four year guy. But certainly, there's there's kind of an expectation of how high you could go with him, and and you didn't reach it. Yeah, I, I think when when we saw the flashes of what we saw early in his career, and you know the upset against Oklahoma, and some some of the flashes he showed early on, you thought, hey. This is a guy that could really take you some places, and and he did honestly. I mean, last year obviously was a huge year, uh, going to the Fiesta Bowl, winning New Year's Six. Uh, that that was that was a historic year, and and this is a historic run and historic stretch for Iowa State. And I think one thing we can't lose sight of is that even though this season was disappointing, this stretch as a whole over the last four or five years has been pretty historic totally. for Iowa State. That that said, I think the Ellinger comparison is is good because while he he He's 
your guy that you rally around. It's the guy that everybody in the fan base loves. He's not perfect, and there's going to be some mistakes. And, and there were some mistakes last night that, that reared their ugly heads that, that had been there in, in the past. I know some people, uh, when we looked at that interception last night that he knocked away, we kind of looked back to the TCU one uh, yeah. that he had where he threw it backward. Uh, it, it's just, you know, it's one of those things. And I think part of it, too, is, and you you mentioned, Max, that they're, they're, Iowa State's good enough to go toe-to-toe with some of these teams now. But like, I also could you did, imagine Iowa State like playing saw, with Clemson four years ago? There's no way. No, no absolutely way. not. Absolutely not. And this absolutely is the worst not. Clemson but team I, of the last five years, but still, it's, right. it's, <laughs> still, it's still a team full of blue-chip players. I was going to say, when, when I watched that defensive line against that offensive line last night, you can tell a little bit of a talent difference because it, the way they were able to pressure sure. party last night. And that, and that, That's going to happen when you go play Clemson, is, for sure. Exactly. Bottom line is, is if you're Brock Purdy or if you're Caleb Williams, whoever you are, if you face a talented defensive line and you're under pressure constantly, things are going to happen. And so, uh, so per- yeah, Purdy has an interesting, interesting legacy. So no, no doubt about it. But I think, I think overall, despite the mistakes and despite the ups and downs, I think, I think uh, Cyclones fans will look positively upon his time there just because of how much they accomplished under his watch. But I think you're right that this year, coming in with a top ten ranking. And finishing seven and six is is un, undoubtedly disappointing. Yeah, it, it's tough when you're the guy for four years, and and you know we could do the list of like the five best moments of of Brock Purdy's tenure. That they, they've had a, a ton of huge wins, and um, you know played for a Big Twelve title and all that, and and you know even their bowl game last year was a huge feat for that program, as as bad as Oregon was. But um, you know when you're the guy for four years, you also get saddled with well. Here's the five worst plays he made. And here's the ten worst plays he made, and and that I think for Brock Purdy, like that that's it's tough. Some of those are ugly, you know, and, and that's you know it's not totally always his fault, but um, you know the, those are the ones that stick with people too. And I think yeah, long term the legacy is going to be the the stuff you did right, but um, that's the pressure that comes with doing this for four years. That's why I mentioned Ellinger because he. He saddled it too. He, he, you know, he he had to be the guy every game, and uh, you know, it's 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 a lot of pressure on these dudes. And I and I talked with Brock Purdy about this back in October when he was back to playing well. And um, I think he's a kid that 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 always kind of took the right approach to it. You you didn't really see him. Yeah, the Iowa game this year was bad, but you never really saw him. You know, melt down or anything like that. He always had the right mentality about these things and. I think Iowa State folks will ultimately be really grateful for him, um, and I and I know a lot of folks there are, are really intrigued by Hunter Deckers and, and kind of what comes next there too. And so um, it, that's going to be, you know, sort of the big picture challenge here for Iowa State now is, um, you know, what does next year look like? Is it is it a bit of a rebuild or is it is it more of a reload? I I, I think it's a really interesting challenge for Matt Campbell and his culture, and and you know. Maybe maybe some job will come along, but it doesn't seem like it. It seems like Matt Campbell's going to be there next year, and they're going to you know th- this would be kind of the moment when a lot of coaches leave for th- for that next job, and uh, it looks like he's not going to. So they've they've got a lot of people to replace, and uh, we'll see if they can kind of develop that next uh, next iteration that, that 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 next kind of phase of stars uh, after having a lot of these guys for uh, you know three four years. Yeah, I think uh, and Jason, feel free to chime in if you if you have a take on this. I, I feel like as long as Campbell's there, this program's on solid footing, and and yeah, they're going to have to replace some pieces. But I think long term in this conference, and especially as we move toward a new Big Twelve, uh, I think this program is pretty well positioned to compete in the future. I, I yeah, I, I agree. I think Matt Campbell has earned the benefit of the doubt. He he uh, moving forward, and yeah, in the new Big Twelve, especially, there's a real opportunity for Iowa State to to take a step up and. And, uh, and, and be a, one of the upper tier teams in the conference. But I, I do have to say, and, and I know they had a lot of close losses, but if you'd have told me at the beginning of the year that this Iowa State team was going to lose six games, I, I just don't think there's any way I would have believed that. Any way I would have believed that with, with all the talent they have. So um, you know, I, I kind of feel bad for Iowa State fans because, man, they, they came in with so much hype and so much excitement and uh, the one thing I know, though, about Iowa State after all these years of covering this conference is those fans are pretty, pretty damn loyal, though. So uh, I, I, I'm sure that uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll be fine. But but still sh- pretty, pretty surprising to see that seven and six next to Iowa State's name. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think at the start of the year, I think I picked them to win the Big 12 championship. So uh, 
I, I did not get that right. Well, uh, and, and I just, it's like the one thing you haven't gotten right this year, Sam. <laughs> well, and I like so some I've kind of tracked the past few years here is kind of the the teams that are preseason top twenty five and and finish with um, losing records. They don't finish with a losing record, but the, those are kind of the season from hell teams. And it's hard for me to sit here today and say like why Iowa State had a season from hell. At least I'm sure it feels like it in some ways, but. That part of that is just like those are the breaks of the Big Twelve. Like you're gonna play a lot of close games, and uh, they didn't win some of those close games this year. No, no doubt about it. Well, there, there's some other Big Twelve bowls going on. We got Liberty Bowl a couple days ago. Texas Tech, Sonny Cumbie going out a winner before he heads off to Louisiana Tech and dominating. Buddy, Mike it, it was not close. Sovereign immunity. It was bowl. not it close. Was not that was a beatdown. Thirty-four to seven. Red Raiders dominate Mississippi State and admittedly a shorthanded Mississippi State team. But, heck, Texas Tech was dealing with a lot of losses, too. Uh, Eric Azucama was not playing in that game, they, obviously, without a head coach. And they have both outgoing coaches, uh, Sonny Cumbie and Keith Patterson, the defense coordinator, who's going to be the head coach at Abilene Christian. Texas Tech, with its first winning season since 2015. It sounds weird to say it, but I, it, despite everything that Texas Tech has went through this year, Pretty good ending for the Red Raiders and pretty good bright future, I think, uh, for the Red Raiders moving Yeah, you, you think when, when Joe McGuire and his new coaches are watching that one, Sam, you think they're they're probably thinking, all right, we can we can win a few games with these guys. Absolutely. No, I, th- I think one of the things that's most encouraging about that, that result in particular was the fact that so many of the guys making plays, especially offensively, were young guys. You know, Jerron Bradley, the receiver, you know, Miles Price making some plays. J.J. Sparkman with a really, really nice touchdown catch. And Donovan Smith, the quarterback. I guess we'll have to see how the quarterback situation plays out. You know, if, if Donovan Smith's going to still be around. If Tyler Shuck's coming back. Uh, you know, Baron Morton's still on that depth chart. There's a lot to figure out there. And Zach Kittley's, I think, has got to be intrigued with some of the weapons he has offensively to work with. Oh, I think I like, I think they would have liked to get Quinn Ewers. I don't think they necessarily needed Quinn Ewers in terms of what their situation is with the with the – Talent they've got at quarterback, and and also that bowl game was like the epitome of what I want to see from bowl games. Like when when it, that, that that's like when you've got the interim coach too. Like just throw bombs, just go back that, just go back there and throw bombs. Like I just loved the way <laughs> Cumbie called the game and was just like, we're just gonna throw it up and have some fun with these guys and not, you know, not. And obviously Mississippi State was missing some guys on defense because of COVID and stuff like that. But I I love that they just went in that game saying like, I, I wanted to see that from OU too. Just say, eh, screw it. Let's just throw the ball around and see what happens. Yeah. And, and I got to give uh, their front credit and I got to give uh, just the Cumbie as a play caller some credit because boy, they fetched Roderick Thompson mm-hmm. early and he was running rush shot over Mississippi State's defense. And uh, they, they ran, I think they had 130 rushing yards in the first six minutes of the game. And so uh, I thought he called it really well, and like I said, I thought Donovan, you know, ups and downs just like he has had throughout his time this year, but I, th- I think he's got some real potential there. I, I, I do like his ability as a quarterback, and depending on what happens, like I said, with that quarterback room, I think there's some, some, some a lot of potential for Texas Tech, and they're bringing in uh, Joshua Moore from, from Texas, the receiver, so that's an interesting weapon that you add to the room uh, and to that offense, with, and again, with Kitley, I think the potential there is really, really high. But I was impressed uh, by Tech, and I, I thought the way they finished it, and kudos to Cumbie for finishing off this thing the way he did. He, he went to Louisiana Tech, took that job, finished out signing class, and came back, finished out bowl preparation. Same thing. Keith Patterson Patrick, got a head job and out. came back too, yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, and, and, and they came back, coached the game, and you could tell that this thing really mattered to them. And I know it matters to Cumbie because Cumbie's a West Texas guy. He, he went to Tech, you know, he, he played for Leach, and it mattered a lot to him. Uh, so I, I was, I was really impressed, uh, with the way that all went down. I'm happy for them. And I think Cumbie's going to do a really good job. And Sam, I think we probably need to say in in all fairness, like credit to Matt Wells and his coaches too, you know, and just because like you saw, it's funny, like the, the, (laughs) you watched the first game of the season for Texas tech. No offense, Sam. You, you, you saw the last game of the season (laughs) for Texas tech and you're like, okay, when this team's like pretty healthy, they had a chance to be pretty good this year. And then a lot of stuff happened in between the first game and the last game. But when when it when they were right, like you thought, okay, I'm not saying they should have been an eight or nine win team this year, but they certainly, I think they certainly were good enough to get to a bowl as we saw, and um, you know, yeah, it it took it took some upsets to do it, but like I, as as disheartening as some of those early Big Twelve games were, this was not a bad Texas Tech team. No, not at all. And we look at 
we had Joey McGuire on the pod in recent weeks. Check that out if you haven't. But McGuire said it. This is a good roster that that he was left with, and Matt Wells deserves credit for that because he spent a lot of time getting guys out of the portal. They did recruit, obviously, a little bit less at the high school level, but th- he shaped up a roster that's a little older, a little more veteran, but with guys that have multiple years of eligibility. Right. And when people and when you get fired, people say, "Well, it didn't work." Right, but then you watch the way mm-hmm. they played over the last five games, and you'd say, "Okay, you know, like if if people don't want that to be your identity every year to be the team that's just taking grad transfers all the time, I understand that, but they they at least did the job of building a good enough team to be more competitive this year." Yeah, no doubt, and they and they won't be. I think you know, Joe McGuire and I talked about that, and we wrote a little bit about it uh, earlier this month. Was that his strategy is going to be mostly high schoolers, but and they will take transfers, but they're going to be a little bit more selective about it. So. I think Joey's going to try a different strategy, but you, you can't deny that the foundation there from a roster standpoint is good. They just needed, I guess, a better way. They needed to be able to finish and and win some of these games. And I think, like I said, the way some of those losses went just hurt Matt in a big way. But I think Joey's got a really, really solid future here with the roster he's got, good staff. Uh, and I think it's uh, I think the future in Lubbock is going to be pretty it's, bright. It's always so. funny at these bowl games. I, I remember it with, um, with Texas and, and their Alamo Bowls and stuff too. Like, when you hear on the broadcast and stuff like, oh, Coach told us this is the healthiest they've ever been. And then they go like play really well in the bowl game. And I'm sure for some fans, you're just like, what the hell? Like, why couldn't we see this? Why couldn't the whole season be this way? Even for Oklahoma, Jason, like when you guys are going through the depth chart before the game where they missing two guys, finally, like that that's it. Like it's, it's just yeah. funny when everybody's finally back and you see a team play to its potential in a bowl game after having some weeks off, it, it, it can be. It, and that sometimes that generates the offseason hype and stuff, which is can be can be a little bit dangerous too. But um, it, it is for I, I know there's like a lot of debate going on about bull season and how valuable or pointless any of this stuff is. But it is fun for me sometimes with some of these teams to see. Okay, at full strength, yeah, they actually could have been a pretty good team. Yeah, yeah, you do have to kind of be careful about judging much based on uh, on previous bowl results. As a, as an example, last year Oklahoma crushes Florida in the Cotton Bowl. Now that was a severely depleted Florida team. Dan Mullen will tell you all about it. Um, <laughs> but uh, but still, it sort of created this hype about that team entering this year. And and uh, you, sometimes Texas uh, beating Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Um, you know, obviously generated a lot of hype, uh, for them the next year. So it, it is sort of interesting. I, it's, it's hard to not get wrapped up in that a little bit, but, but yeah, you kind of have to remember, Hey, I, I meant these to, teams are going to change a lot. I meant to say this earlier when we were talking about the Alamo Bowl. can we get the big 10 back in there? Cause these PAC 12 teams are just like not showing up for these games. Well, yeah. And I mean, <laughs> and, and look, it, and it also just doesn't, I don't know, like there were barely any Oregon fans yeah. last, year, last night. You know, I mean, it was Which a, I also overwhelming. Like, I understand, but like folks in the yeah. Midwest would like to go down to San Antonio for, for the holidays, yeah. you know? It, yeah. it used to be, I think, I'm, I think it changed in 2010, but it used to be a Big 12, Big 10 game. And I, I'd like to see that. I mean, I know, th- you know, the, the arrangements have changed and all that stuff, but like, I think the record now is like eight and three for the Big 12 in these games. Like, I, I'd like to see the Big 10 get back in this. Yeah, it would it would be interesting. Didn't I mean? Heck, who doesn't want to go to San Antonio and have some tacos, some puffy tacos, and drink some pearl beer? No uh, doubt. We we were, we we were we were talking about that last night. Of like, what what should they have dumped on uh, the winning coach? Obviously, we talked about the tequila, but what are the other San Antonio options? We thought thought about Big Red. We thought about pearl beer. Yep. Uh, I had said puffy tacos, although that would be really a waste of a of a fine San Antonio delicacy. Uh, but no shortage, Rob. We could do some salsa. Uh, we could always do some salsa. Just just uh, go dump the Gatorade what? bucket in the river. Why, why can't one the of these bulls do the do, do the queso dump? What's wrong with the queso dump? You know, I mean, room temperature queso. You know, you got to probably water it down <laughs> a little bit, but you don't you don't want scalding hot queso. But I'd be okay with it. River Riverwalk water. I don't know. About <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Jason. Jason, did you eat? Did you eat anything really good? I hope you did while you were in San Antonio. Yeah, w- went to a couple of cool places. Uh, went to uh, Meat Sierra for lunch um, uh, the other day. Had a really good carne asada. Went to uh, Casa Rio on the on the Riverwalk and and ate a really good meal there. So so yeah, it's it's been a it's been a really fun week uh, from from that perspective. Absolutely. Good stuff. So. 
few more bowl game results we'll talk about. Uh, did anybody watch the West Virginia game? I know I stayed up for it. And Max, I remember you giving me a text about midway to fourth quarter saying you couldn't finish it out. <laughs> did we have <laughs> any takeaways from West Virginia's awful I, performance in the guaranteed look, rate bowl? Against you Minnesota? know, we're, we're media members and it's our job to watch these things. But, I, you know, it's the holiday season. We don't, we don't have daycare right now, so every day is exhausting. And uh, I'm I'm like the common man here. I'm watching these games on my couch, and I might fall asleep during them at some point in time. It's it's kind of beyond my control. Did I did I sleep through the second half of the Alamo Bowl? Not not by my choosing, but yeah, I did fall asleep. <laughs> and you know, in the fourth quarter of uh, of a, a very boring West Virginia Minnesota game, um, when you knew that that like you know that the eighteen to six was going to be the final score, pretty much. It was past midnight, and I'm just like, I don't know, guys. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can pull this off. I don't know if I can stick it out. As I told you, Max, I was drinking wine, so that helped me get through all the way to the <laughs> end. And uh, I did not get the payoff from the game. The wine did plenty fine for me. Did, but, did I miss anything uh, over I, the last uh, ten minutes of the game, Sam? Did I? No, I mean they they didn't give the ball to Tony Mathis any more than I thought they should have because I thought he was really electric when he got the ball in his hands. But for some reason they would give it to him a couple times and then they would move on to something else, start throwing the ball around, which did not succeed very much for them. So I'm sure West Virginia fans were very frustrated by that. Me as a neutral observer, I was frustrated watching it myself because I'm like, why don't you give this really talented fast guy the ball who keeps getting yards every time you give him the ball? So uh, rough way to end six and seven for West Virginia. Uh, it lose into Minnesota can, there in the guaranteed rate bowl. Can we can we briefly uh, have a little Dana Holgerson appreciation because oh, his post game we have to Birmingham Bowl performance was pretty damn funny. I have to admit, I I, <laughs> I, I greatly enjoyed that. We got it. We got. Can we put that you drop ch- in here? The sound. Well, yeah. Let's well, put the. Let's if put if the folks sound didn't hear here. what Dana had to say uh, about the the press conference arrangement at the Birmingham Bowl, um, please <laughs> please enjoy this. Yeah, I'd need to have separate press conferences during this. Uh, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're the we won the game, and I'm just standing out there for 20 minutes. I don't quite understand that. I'd, I'd get that together. Uh, that was great, and also in addition to that comment to open the press conference, apparently this was accorded to Lyndon Blake, a reporter who was, I guess, covering the game, said that Dana also yelled "Hurry up!" out during Brian Harson's conference. <laughs> press conference from outside the door so data was not here to wait for stand outside to wait for 20 minutes for the loser auburn tigers to discuss the birmingham bowl he he was ready to get on that plane but and as we saw from his tweets the rest of the day he needed brian harson to hurry up and quit talking about his his loss so that he could get home to party with the trophy yeah that was great too The, the the tweet was great they, Houston has done a really good job with this this Vulcan trophy. Yesterday, they they posted a picture of it right outside the stadium where you could see the clear view of its backside, which, of course, is not covered by the loincloth. Uh, <laughs> so you can see its rear, rear end. And uh, uh, Dana also tweeted yesterday with the strength coach. He tweeted a, a picture of the trophy. Uh, I, I, of course, when he was partying with it on uh, the night of the game when he got back, I, 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 like everybody else, was very curious what was in the cup that was sitting on Dana Holgerson's table, uh, and I'm sure we all have our own uh, assumptions about that. But the biggest upset was by, not. By the way, Houston love the just Auburn. nothing but respect for a millionaire drinking styrofoam cup drinks at his house. You know, <laughs> you, and he's live, got live your best life, Dana, man. It. Do whatever you want. That's right. <laughs> you win. You get to do it that way. <laughs> that the biggest upset was not Houston beating Auburn. The biggest upset is that Dana actually went on the plane back home to Houston and not off to some. Uh, fancy locale, whether it's in Florida or the Keys or Vegas or something like that. Because normally, if Dana stays at the bowl site uh, after after a bowl game, he normally does not fly back with the team. He just kind of hangs out in vacations for a week. But uh, he chose to go back home and uh, and like you said, party at his at his pad with uh, with the trophy. So uh, big ups to Houston, future Big Twelve member. Really good 12, performance. I mean, uh, Twelve win season, you know, and and yeah. you know, you can uh, like. I, I, I don't, what, what can you say? Like it, that's as good of a year as you can. I mean, all things considered hell of a year for Houston, obviously for Cincinnati too, but I mean, to, to get into the big 12 and have this kind of a year that gets everything rolling, um, you know, really, really impressive. Yeah. And they, they should bring back a lot of guys. Clayton tune is expected to be back from what I'm told. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got uh, the freshman running back, Alton McCaskill who was great this year. Tank Dell who caught a bunch of balls. 
He's still got some eligibility left, so I, I would I would guess that he's probably back. And you bring them back, and then they they inked up Doug Belk, their defensive coordinator, got him to a million dollar year raise. So uh, he he is likely to be back next year to lead that defense again, which which was really the the calling card for Houston this year. So they have a real potential to to have a strong twenty twenty two going into their their last season in the American before they go into the Big Twelve. So a lot of potential for the Cougs, uh, and then UCF and Florida and the Gasparilla Bowl, another future Big Twelve member. I, I was I don't think any of us were shocked because when we we did our picks, we we talked about the motivation in this one that UCF wanted this one really bad, but. I was really impressed. I thought the Knights played really well. It played really fast, and you could tell they really wanted that one a little bit more than, than the Gators. Yeah, I thought did. Florida played really badly too. You know, and that's <laughs> you know sometimes that's a, it's hard to make these picks too on these games sometimes because uh, you just don't know. You know, does I mean obviously historically we know that if an SEC team loses a bowl game, it's because they didn't want to be there, and so uh, it's hard. It's of hard. To, it's hard sometimes to know what to expect with these. But uh, yeah, you're right, Sam. Like the UCF motivation was was super high on that one, and um, I thought I, I just thought it was not a very impressive performance from Florida. Which, given how they played in November, I guess that's not really surprising. No, and it's funny, Jason. You referenced it earlier the the Mullen making the excuses after the bowl game. Last year, I feel like that was kind of a little bit of the canary in the coal mine for Florida. Like, uh, you know, Mullen obviously has been ousted midway through the season, but uh, just seemed to be like a sign of things to come for the Gators. Because that was, what, three losses in Uh, a row, I guess, when OU beat them? It all started with the shoe toss, right? Sure did. Isn't that what? Yeah. uh, It all was downhill from there for Dan. Well, and and then there was one one of their players that said that OU wasn't SEC, wasn't good enough to be SEC or whatever. Yeah, he so. said, yeah, OU's not SEC. Uh, or They're a good team, but they're not SEC. They're not on our level or something like that. Because <laughs> then Isaiah Thomas, after the Cotton Bowl, flipped it around and said the exact same thing, but replaced uh, Florida and, and Big 12. So that's pretty funny. Yeah. Who would have known that months later, Oklahoma would be joining the SEC? What, <laughs> what a year. You guys, can I just say really quick, this year on the Oklahoma beat has been absolutely exhausting. Okay, let's just go back to February when the holder got in a bar fight. Um, we had, oh, we had yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. three players commit an armed robbery. We had Trey yeah. Bradford transfer to OU and then transfer back to LSU. Mm-hmm. We had the SEC. We had the, I mean, just the Texas game. I mean, just one thing after another. This has been a wild year. You had the, you had the, uh, um, after the Texas game, the, uh, the, the quarterback snooping. Oh, oh that's yeah, right. The, yeah. The, the spying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. shout out to I've, OU I've, Daily. Uh, yeah, that's right. I, I've been hanging out with those guys some down here in San Antonio. You, so. Have you made, made peace with them? You good now? I I never was at war with them. It was it wasn't me. It was that it was OU that was at war with them. Let, let me tell you something, Jason. I, if I could add to that, and maybe Sam, you feel differently. It's been a hell of a year on the college football beat, just overall, just overall. Yeah. And and no maybe part of it is that I don't know with with the way things were this year. Like I didn't I didn't get a vacation. Like we just you kept it rolling, and we you know we had the baby this year too, so that made me just more tired all the time anyways. But um, it, it's just from, from you know, the whole just the whole year. Just the whole year has just been it, – it, it's part of it is because in this sport, we are just like living through so many changes at the, all going on at the same time. Part of it is that, and there's just like so many issues in the sport right now. Um, that But, God, the season was fantastic. Still, you know, like we had just, we were so busy up until September started and then the season was still great. And I'm glad that especially with all the cancellations going on right now, like I'm glad we were able to get through this season like we did, too. Oh, no doubt, man. Like I was thinking about that. You know, it sucks. The bowl cancellations suck. And I feel really bad for those players. Um, but the fact that we got through the regular season with really minimal disruption, very is, minimal, is, like it's, it's unreal. pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, I know. I with you because I think we talk about the craziness. Is I was going to take a week off right before fall camp started in August, and uh, that was right, right when Oklahoma and Texas decided to move to the SEC. And so I, I had actually had a a vacation set up, and it was like like a time off set up, and I was like, well, I'm going to withdraw that request and. And, uh, you know, our trusty editor, Kate Heropolis, Jason, uh, said, if you don't take it now, you're probably not going to get it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm probably not going to get it. And so we had to wait until the end of the year. But no, it's I feel like it was drinking water out of fire hose from the moment that thing happened. Because then 
you had Texas and OU, and then we had the tentacles that came out from the Big 12 and having to track the Big 12 expansion. And, oh, by the way, there's the actual football season to cover, which, like you guys said, was pretty eventful and, and quite entertaining. And then, like I said, we got to the end. You know, we got a lot of coaching changes in the midseason. And then even before Lincoln Riley made his announcement to OU, uh, there was a lot of the LSU noise was hovering. It was hovering around <laughs> Texas A&M with their continued pursuit of Jimbo Fisher. It, it hovered around Lincoln Riley, obviously, before he uh, you know, pulled the rug out from everybody and went to USC instead. So it, it has been a wild year, but it's been I will say it's been a fun year, and I've enjoyed the ability just to have a, at least a somewhat normal season up until this point. No, for, for sure. Now, now, before we go, Jason, how, how are we doing on the bull picks? Yeah, let's uh, let's 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 go through this real quick. I got my trusty notebook here. Um, you know, we are not going to catch Sam. Unfortunately, uh, he is he is so far ahead of us. But we are showing out pretty nicely here so far. And Sam, you're having a little bit of trouble here um, in the bowls so far that we've picked. Now we did not pick the BYU bowl because we didn't record until after that one had been played. But of the ones we've picked, which is all the big 12 and then the future big 12 other than BYU uh, we've had six bowls so far. Max and I are both five and one Ooh. in these games, Sam Ooh. three and three. Uh, there's a lot at stake here, actually, because Max and I had agreed uh, since we came into bowl season with the same record that the loser has to leave the industry. And uh, this is really, <laughs> this is really getting intense. This is really getting intense. <laughs> Jason, when you look at the board, what what is going to be the game that decides who has to quit their job? Uh, well, there's two. So we both picked Kansas state. We both picked Cincinnati to cover. We both picked Michigan to cover. Uh, I picked Oklahoma state. You picked Notre Dame. Oh, really? And I picked, I picked Baylor. You picked Ole Miss. Okay. So, right. uh, those are the, the two. stakes those have never the, been higher. The sugar and the fiesta. Oh boy. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Who did I pick in those two games? Uh, Jason, you Oklahoma state and Ole Miss. Okay, interesting. Yeah, interesting. Mm. Well, with those two games are co- those two games so, are coming up. So here. we could split those, though, Jason. We could split, and them then and we then, both keep our jobs, and then we're good. Oh, yeah, and good. Then every, and then, oh, good. That, that's a relief. Let's 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 actually root for that. How about we root for that? <laughs> oh boy! So we got those those two games coming up here: New Year's Day, Sugar Bowl, Baylor, Ole Miss, and the Fiesta Bowl, Oklahoma State, Notre Dame. Uh, any thought? What What are your thoughts, guys, on these games? How excited are you? These games. These are two really good matchups that we have uh, in, in both of these games. And Baylor Ole Miss. I'm. I would say I'm most excited about Baylor Ole Miss because we're getting Matt Corral and we're he- getting a healthy Gary Bohannon back for for Baylor. But what, what What do you guys think about these two games? These two matchups. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm excited about both of them. Um, I'll be very interested to see how Oklahoma State's defense plays without Jim Knowles and, and sort of what Mike Gundy decides to do there um, with, the, with the defensive play calling. And then uh, Baylor Ole Miss is interesting because, I mean, Jeff Lebby, for, for, for me, as somebody who covers Oklahoma, I'm, I'm interested to watch Jeff Lebby uh, call plays and, and see how that offense performs. But um, I, I think they're both exciting matchups. I think they're both uh, going to be good games. And, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking New, forward to New Year's Day is going to be great. You just look at the the five games we're setting up here, um, and you get a chance. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and thankfully because of the way they scheduled out, um, you know, you can watch the Fiesta Bowl and not have to watch a minute of Iowa Kentucky, which I don't think is going to be very exciting. Um, <laughs> I love it, <laughs> but uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. You're right, Jason. The the levy part of that will be interesting for. Um, OU fans and like even I mean even this Rose Bowl I know Ohio State's had a lot of players opt out of it um, and to go pro which I don't blame them but um, I think Utah Ohio State's gonna be an awesome matchup uh, too so like I think uh, it's it's gonna be a lot of fun and and yeah you know I, the, the momentum like I feel pretty good about that Notre Dame pick just because like I think Notre Dame's kind of in that same spot as Oklahoma Jason where that you know the Marcus Freeman takeover there um, it it seems like that was also you know, very chaotic week, but it seems like everyone is rallied around where this thing's going. And this is, you know, just like with the Alamo bowl, that chance for them to kind of get that momentum rolling for the new era. And, uh, you know, I, I, so I think that that Oklahoma state's up against it in this one for sure. And, and look, Notre Dame is number five in the final poll. So like, obviously they're a pretty good team, but, um, that, I think that game is going to be 
really fun to watch, and and I'm sure for Spencer Sanders uh, and that that Oklahoma State offense, getting Jalen Warren back, which is so helpful. Um, you know, the memory of that Big 12 title game is is I'm sure going to fuel them to uh, have have a great plan for this one, and so I think it's going to be you know hopefully one of the the best games of the bowl season. Yeah, Jason, you talked about it, I think, on the last pod. Just that matchup is intriguing because I don't think it's a matchup that we would normally see in Notre Dame and Oklahoma State. So I think uh, watching those two teams square off will be a lot of fun. Uh, and then, like I said, Baylor Ole Miss uh, on New Year's night in the in the Superdome. Uh, I think it's got really intriguing because you've got a really good Baylor defense against uh, obviously one of the best quarterbacks in the country, Matt Corral, is going to be heading off to the NFL. And and with Levy calling the signals, I'm I'm certainly – uh, intrigued to see it. I've seen both of them in person, so I think it. Uh, I, they're both really, really good teams, and I think it'll be it'll be a fun one. And then we have LSU Kansas State in between on January fourth. I'm still not sure about why we timed this game on January fourth, uh, three days after the big New Year's Day games and a week before the uh, the national championship. But hey, whatever. Uh, <laughs> extra extra football. <laughs> we'll take it. Extra football. That's right. That's right. Well, guys, a uh, good show. Uh, enjoyed catching up. Thanks to all you for listening. Uh, we're here every Thursday in the Andy Staple Show and Friends feed. So if you haven't already, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also find our stores on The Athletic. If you're not subscribed to The Athletic, you can sign up with our latest promotional offer at theathletic.com slash one true pod. Right now, you can get a full year of The Athletic for just $24, $2 a month. So, so jump on that deal. It expires at midnight on December 31st. So be sure to jump on that before the new year at theathletic.com slash one true pod. You'll get comprehensive coverage of this bowl season, the future of the Big 12, and so much more. So now is a great time to sign up, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.